Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning and welcome to Vessel Collective Church. I know that this does not feel like normal church to you. It certainly does not feel like normal church to me as I am gathered in the YMCA with eight of my closest friends. And so thank you so much for joining us this morning. And this is your first time being a part of Vessel Collective Church. We want to say welcome and thank you for joining us online. As I said, this is not normal for us uh, as your world has changed a lot in the past week, uh, as has ours I feel like that this past week has been the busiest that I've been in a long while. And so, and I've been busy with things that don't feel like things I want to be busy with. And so, I want to encourage you if you are part of our church and you know Mr. Gary Gall, Mr. Grant Ledyard, Mr. Paul Turner, Mrs. Jana Turner, Mr. Stephen Godfrey, Jacob, Matt Danko, any of those guys, to send them a text right now and say thank you because they have done a ton of work making this happen and letting us be able to have church in the comfort of our living rooms. And so affectionately, if you've been paying attention the last few days to the vessel, you know we are starting what is going to be an eight-week journey likely for us. Hopefully, we are praying it's not longer than that, but it's going to be an eight-week journey of what we are calling church at home. And so what church at home means is that obviously you are home now, I am not, and you are going to be doing, and we are going to be doing church from the comfort of our homes. And so uh, there's lots of things that are nice about that. You can, you don't have to get dressed up. You can be in your slippers. You can be in your pajamas, no makeup. You can have a cup of coffee, whatever it is you want to be comfortable. But I pray and hope that you participate faithfully over the course of the next eight weeks. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to be distracted from that or to be um, pulled away from that. But I really want to encourage you, church, to be faithful to participate in what we're doing and know that us gathering as a body of Christ, even if we're in different homes, matters for the kingdom uh, and for the sake of what the Lord is doing through the vessel. So thank you, thank you, thank you for participating. And meanwhile, while you're at the comfort of your own home, I am not. I am here at the YMCA, and I don't know if you've ever seen that Zach Galifianakis skit, Between Two Ferns, but this is basically... We've got one fern, all we need is one on the other side, but I feel like we are between two ferns as we have thrown together a recording studio in the in the matter of days to be able to make this happen. So, like I said, if you know any of those guys mentioned in the team that helped make this happen, please send them a text or an email or a tweet, whatever it is, and however you communicate to tell them thank you. So, um, we as we've been talking uh, about this and about how we transition to do this well, I really want to encourage you first and foremost, if you haven't, not right now, but at the end of our message, to uh, go to www.vessel.church. And right in the center of our homepage, there's a button that says Church at Home. If you click on that, it's going to give you all instructions on what we are going to be doing for the next eight weeks. Obviously, Sunday morning is an important part of that, but we've got some other things planned, including uh, every Tuesday, we're going to have our children's ministry curriculum come out. uh, And Shay and Denise are working hard to make that accessible to you at home. They're going to have videos. It's going to have worship. It's going to have activities. It's going to have questions. And it's going to be a really sweet time if you have littles like we do to be able to have church with them at home. The other thing that we have is on Thursdays, we're going to be putting uh, out through our our church at home, uh, we're going to be having an activity for you to do. 
And each week, the activity is going to look different, and it's going to be accessible to everyone, whether you're, uh, you know, empty nesters, whether you're single, whether you're a family of five like we are. It's going to be something that you can do to stay engaged missionally. And that's our heart, and that's our hope, is that we give you opportunities to stay mindful, to stay engaged, things that you can do from your quarantined house and home uh, that can keep you focused outwardly for the sake of the world. And so I'm really, honestly, I'm very excited about that, as this has been um, uncomfortable for me and not what we desired. Um, it's been really good. And so uh, I was talking to my, I, as Shay and I were talking to our kids at home, we told them about, hey, you know, as you've had conversations I'm sure they're similar to this. Just saying, hey, we're going to be at home. We're going to, spring break is going to be only a week. You're going to be at school for three, but spring break is only a week because we are going back to school. This is not perpetual spring break. But, and we talked to them about church as well to say, hey, we're going to be having church at home. And so my oldest daughter, Sloan, <clears throat> as we talked about that, we told her that, that we're not going to be going to church and being with our family. Uh, as normal on Sunday. She goes, no, I really miss. I love church. I like being there. Uh, I'm really sad about that. And we said, don't worry. We said, we're going to have church at home. And we said, daddy's going to preach on the computer. And she quickly went from, no, I want to be there to what? No, no, there's no way. That's a terrible idea. So she quickly went from like a 10-year-old girl to a 15-year-old, no, that is embarrassing. I do not want you preaching at home. So Sloan, if you're watching... Sorry. So um, as we uh, transition into Easter over the course of the next several weeks, we're starting a new series that we are calling The Last Days. And I know that that feels very apocalyptic in our uh, kind of the circumstances of what's going on around us right now. Uh, but I promise you, as we planned out this year and our teaching schedule, we planned this sermon series the last day uh, months ago, far far before we even knew that COVID-19 coronavirus was even a thing or that we would be here now. So this is not about the last days, uh, apocalyptic times. This is about the last days of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be reading through Matthew chapter 18, 19, and beyond over the next several weeks, looking at kind of these last moments and these last interactions that Jesus has. And so I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think that we're going to see some really sweet and genuine moments about how the Lord, even as his, his ministry and his life shifted from this, this, this ministry and building his ministry here on earth and transitioning towards what he was going to do on the cross for us uh, and ultimately his death and resurrection, you're going to see how kind and good and sweet and intentional that the Lord is even in the hardest of times even as he turned away from these people that he loved and turned towards the cross and ultimately the grave and ultimately his own resurrection and how even in those moments, even in that time of his life, he was really intentional and really kind and met people where they were. And so I'm excited about this because this is not the last days. And no one that tells, anyone that can tell you that for some reason or some circumstances around us that this, is the, this marks the end, the end of our time. That is not true. That Scripture talks against that. That Jesus himself said in Acts 1, he says, It is not for you to know the time or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. And Paul, when he wrote his letter to the church uh, uh, in Thessalonians, he said, <laughs> Thessalonians, it is not Thessalonians. Thessalonians is my joke scripture. If I ever need to quote scripture that's not real, like the Lord will never give you something hard. Thessalonians is my scripture. Thessalonians. So too bad we can't edit that out. 
Thessalonians is not real. Don't say it. If you ever need to quote a scripture that's not real, you can use Thessalonians. But in Thessalonians, Paul says that it will be like a thief in the night. And so that is not what this is about. This is not looking at the end times of our earth, but this is looking at the last days of Jesus' life. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into Luke chapter 18. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you that we can gather in our homes, um, around our city, and around our community, and we can still be a family. God, that we can still be a body that's united. God, that is not divided, but is united by your blood and what you did on the cross for us. And that you call us into that, Lord. You call us into community and relationship with one another. And we praise you and thank you for just the ability for us to have a message that can go out via the internet. God, that we have the resources and the, the infrastructure, God, and the team to be able to make that happen that even when we're quarantined, we can gather in your name. And we thank you that as your word promises, when we gather in your name, God, that you are in our midst. And so I pray that your spirit just fall, God, right now with me, that Jesus use me uh, to speak boldly uh, and to point to you in your words. God, silence me and amplify your own voice. And God, just settle in our hearts right now in our living rooms across our community. God, I thank you for the vessel. Jesus, I love this church and I love these people. And I love that I get to call them brothers and sisters, God, and I get to know them and be partners with them in the gospel. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And so you can go ahead, if you've got a little ribbon, you can put that there. We're going to be in Luke 18 and 19 over the course of the next several weeks as we really just look through these instances. So if you want to cheat and you want to read ahead, you can read through that uh, kind of the things that we're going to be doing, walking up until uh, basically this Sunday, we're going to talk about this little story at the end of Luke 18. Next, next week, we're going to look at Zacchaeus, uh, the tax collector. And finally, uh, the third week from now, we're, it's going to be Palm Sunday, and we're going to read about when Jesus walks and he sees Jerusalem for the first time. And then, of course, we're going to have Easter Sunday. So uh, Luke chapter 18, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context as you're turning there. Um, <clears throat> is that as, as Jesus has shifted from his earthly ministry to um, what he has ultimately come to do and why the Lord sent him to put, his, uh, to, to put his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, as Jesus makes that transition, we see some things happen. At the end of chapter, or kind of mid of chapter 18, Jesus tells the disciples and his followers for the third time that, um, um, that, that he's, going to, he's going to die this death. And he predicts his death for the third time. And if you look at kind of 31 in that area, he talks about these things. And he tells them what is going to happen and what's about to happen as they begin this journey to Jerusalem, what this journey is going to end up doing. And so um, it's really interesting to me, and it always makes me feel better when I think and look at the disciples, because even though Jesus told them, they spent years with him. Every single day they were following him. They dropped their nets. They dropped their lives and went and followed him that they still didn't get it. And Jesus couldn't be more blatant. He tells them. He says that, um, he says that we're going to go to Jerusalem. He said it's been written by the prophets about the Son of Man referring to himself and it will be fulfilled. He said they're going to be delivered into the, over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and they will kill him. And he says on the third day that he will rise again. But it amazes me that these guys still didn't get it, that somehow they just they couldn't quite get there, this idea that Jesus was going to give his life. And this man that they had given up everything to follow 
that his life was going to end with his death on the cross. And so the word says in verse 34, it says, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they didn't know what he was talking about. And so it gives me confidence when I, in my own life, that I don't understand what the Lord is doing. And like we're going through the circumstances surrounding this, this virus and, and what's going to happen and what the next few weeks look like. And we as comfortable Westerners that, 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 that want things planned out and we want our lives to be clear ahead of us. We want to know where we're going, know what we're doing, have control of that situation. And it is hard for us when we look at our lives and we look the next few weeks and months out and we don't know what it's going to be. And it instills fear and it instills panic and it instills these things that we begin to grasp at anything we can for control. And so I find comfort in this to know that even that Jesus was really clear that the disciples still didn't get it. And so he's on this death march to Jerusalem and he passes, he's going along a very common route and he passes through Jericho. And so our scripture, uh, Luke 18, 35 through 43 says this. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do to you, do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be this morning. And there's a couple things I want us to really focus on. I want us to look at this man, and I want us to think about ourselves in, the, in this own context of, of where this man was. And I think there's a lot to learn from him. And not only what this man did, but I want you to see how, how the Lord responded to him during this time. And, and the, the King James Version of verse 35 said this, And it came to pass that he was... He was come nigh to Jericho, a certain blind man set by the way, wayside begging. And I love that, the beginning of that, that the King James says, it says, and it came to pass, meaning this idea of him moving from this earthly ministry to towards, it, this is like a death march. This is, this is a death march for him moving towards Jerusalem that he knows is going to end in him on the cross. And this, that the time has come. And when he began his ministry at the wedding of Cana, he told his mom, and when she asked him to, to turn the water to wine, he said, my time has not yet come. And we hear that again and again through Scripture. And this, this, this marks the place in Luke where the time has come. The time has come for him to go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so they're going through Jericho, and here's this man, this blind beggar, and, and there's a lot that we can learn from him. So the first thing is this. The first thing I think is really important that this man does, and you're going to see how Jesus responds to him. And the first thing that we can take away is that we are to pay attention. First and foremost, we are to pay attention. Verse 36 says, when he, the blind man, heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And here's a man that is born blind. Scripture, we know from, from other um, of the gospel testimonies that this man has been born blind. He's never seen. 
in his entire life. He didn't lose his sight. There wasn't an accident. He didn't have cataracts, but he was born blind. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark names him as Bartimaeus. So we even know the man's name. And just like every day, this man is sitting in the same spot along this very common road that is traveled by a lot of people. So the idea of commotion or a crowd or noise or a ruckus going down the road is not, um, is not abnormal. But here is this blind beggar, and I think that it's, it's important to know, like when we think about this idea of paying attention, is he is this blind beggar, but he still perceives that just because he, has it, he doesn't have his sight doesn't mean that he's not someone that's perceptive. They can't perceive what is going on around us. And we think about our own lives and how we're perceptive. And what are we to perceive? And how are we to pay attention to when the Lord goes by? You know, we have our five senses. We have uh, our hearing. We have our sight. We have feel and touch. We have our tasting. And we have our smell. And if you, those are things that you learn, I don't know, in kindergarten, first grade sometime. You learn about these five senses. And so what you learn is, is that if someone loses one of their senses, if someone is deaf, if someone is blind, if, if, if someone has a sense that is not there, their other four senses are often heightened. Their other senses are heightened. So if you've ever been around someone that's blind, I remember as a kid, I grew up and I was a Boy Scout. And so my dad had this friend and we were learning about Braille. We were learning about Braille, and my dad had this friend that worked at his store who was blind. So this man could read Braille, and I remember us turning the lights off and him putting his fingers up and him reading to us in Braille. And so, like, even his sense of touch, I don't know if you've ever touched Braille, but, like, if I put my fingers across it, it doesn't feel, like, I can't feel anything distinct there. But because this man had no vision, his sense of touch was heightened. And so, like, our family... Uh, we love Survivor. And so if we're ever gathering all of our, the five of our family members together, from me and Shay, Sloan, Keller, all the way down to Barrett, who's five years old, we love to watch Survivor. And so we gather together and we watch Survivor. And so they have these immunity challenges. And one of the best challenges is, it's kind of like this perpetual one that they do, but they blindfold the, the people in their tribe and then someone stands on the tower and they guide them through this obstacle course. And the makers of the show are cruel. I mean, they put posts and rails and things at their shin and things that are waist high. And it is so funny to watch these people that are blind careen through this course. And they're falling over things and they're getting injured. And so the idea is that they're supposed to use their hearing to hear their, their, the person that's on their team to guide them through this course. And so here is this man that does not have this sense of vision, that he is blind but that doesn't mean that he can't perceive and he can hear what is happening around him. And so we often miss this in our own lives. Like we have our senses, we have, you know, these five senses, unless, you know, you're, you're blind or deaf or, you know, something like that. You have these senses, but oftentimes we don't pay attention to what the Lord is doing, that we're, we're, we're fully capable of understanding. We're fully capable of gathering information in the world around us, but we still lack perception. And so I wonder that. I wonder this idea of paying attention, what this man obviously does, is why do we miss it when Jesus is passing by in our lives? Like moments go by where the Lord is there and we miss it. And I think for us, which one of the things that was advantageous to this man and that we have against us is I think that we're distracted. I think that we often aren't paying attention. We don't perceive what the Lord is doing because we're distracted by other things. 
And because God is not as, and the Lord is not as forward as somehow sometimes we want. Sometimes we just want him to smack us over the head. I mean, I've been guilty of like, Lord, just text me, right? I know that's silly, but like, I want to hear from you. First Kings chapter 19, the Lord is speaking to Elijah and he says this. And the, the, the Lord is talking about his presence coming to Elijah. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great cloud, excuse me, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper, and it was the presence of the Lord. Man, I think so many times we have things that are going on in our lives, and we seek distraction, that we don't, we don't perceive when the Lord is passing by us. We don't perceive what he's doing in the midst of our lives. And oftentimes we fill our lives with those distractions. I think about my, my, my good friend and brother in Christ and partner in crime and the gospel, Gary Gall. And, uh, man, I love and admire Gary Gall more than most men in this earth. And he, I really encourage you to ask Gary his testimony, his story sometime, because it's really incredible. Uh, but but he, he tells of this story about when he was a, a young man and, and he was— he was living a life of the world. He was chasing after what the world had. And he, there was a night that he was out all night, and he was doing things he shouldn't have been and chasing after the world and anything but the Lord. He was distracting himself with whatever it was that was in front of him, whatever it was that the world or someone told him that would bring him happiness or fulfillment or honestly distraction that would distract him from pain, that would distract him from what the Lord was trying to do. And he said that he went through this this time. And he went through this night and this evening. He said, one till the next morning, he woke up and it was quiet. And he, he had been out and been, with, been, been away from God, that he heard the voice of the Lord clearly say to him, what are you doing here? And man, I think that we do that, that we, we chase after these things to distract us, to fulfill us, that we think are going to get us just one more day. And I mean, that, that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, going out and doing whatever. I mean, that can be, you know, the device that is in your pocket, right? That can be your, your Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu account. I mean, how many different things do you need to have distraction in your life? So I think first and foremost, we need to think about what it looks like to pay attention to the Lord in our lives. And on a sidebar, I mean, we are stuck at home. We are quarantined, but you have a phone. Man, call somebody that's in your church, that's in your community. If you're not part of the vessel, you know somebody, and ask them their story. And say, just call someone and text them and say, hey, I just want to know your story, your God's story, your testimony. Call or text Gary Gall. He has a very busy job, and he is still very busy because he works in the tech world. But I guarantee you, if you call him, Gary will tell you a story. He'll tell you his testimony about what the Lord did. But find somebody in your life and just ask them what their story is. The second thing that we learn from this man is not only are we to pay attention, the second thing that we're to do is to cry out. We see this man do this. In verse 30, it says, He called out, 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 39 says, those who led the way rebuked him. So here he is, and and the Lord's coming by, and and the Lord is, uh, Jesus is coming by, and he calls out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that the disciples, these are the guys that are leaning away. These are the disciples. They rebuke him, and they tell him to be quiet. But again, he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is amazing what he's saying is that when he asks the question, who is coming by? What is the noise about? When he's paying attention, what is causing this ruckus? They said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't say anything about son of David. But see, this term, son of David, this is a messianic term. This man knows he's never been Jesus. He's obviously never lays his eyes on Christ before. He's never seen Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, he is saying, Jesus, Messiah, Savior of the world, the Christ, the promised one, have mercy on me. And here he is, and they rebuke him. They say, be quiet. Keep down. We've got a journey to do. We're going to Jerusalem. He's got to get on this colt. He's got to ride into town. He is our king. He's got to do these things. He does not need to be bothered by a blind, poor beggar that's sitting on the side of the street. But this man refuses to be quiet, and he shouted all the more. And the interesting thing is these are actually two, these verses, verses 38 and 39, that's two different words here. The first one, this idea of him calling out, and the second one of him shouting, these are two different words in the, in the, in the, in the original translation to describe what they're doing. In verse 38, the word is defined as like a cry for help or for joy or for pain. It is, it is this crying out for help. It's like we... We have these, I'm sure you guys have, they're like mosquito hawks are like crazy right now with the changing weather. And these mosquito hawks are getting in our house. And you would think our youngest Barrett, he is like the, our loving monster of our family, but he is a mess and he is a monster. He's a hundred miles an hour, but he is deathly afraid of bugs. He is deathly afraid of bugs. And so I was in there the other day, I was working in my office and he screamed, Barrett screamed. He cried out just like this. He crying out for help. I run in there. And he's like this mosquito hawk. And so I made him kill it. I was like, we're getting the flash water, buddy. You are doing this yourself. But that's what it is, this first idea of him crying out for. And then they tell him to be quiet. In verse 39, the word that the shouted out is more equally easily translated as a cry of an animal. I know that feels weird, but it's this animalistic cry. That it's like this wild shout, this wild cry for the Lord. That here that is, he cries out for God, and they tell him, be quiet. Be quiet. Shut up. You're rebuked. And it, he, he cries out even louder and almost like this wild animal. It's like if you've ever been and you live in Texas or wherever, and you're out in the country, you can hear the coyotes at night. You can hear them. Right? That's what the sound is like. That just goes on and on. It's constant. Our family, when we go, um, when we go camping... We always, we, we go to Garner State Park, and we float down the river, and for some reason, when we get on the river and we start our float trip, we, we teach our kids and we howl, like the kids, like howl like, um, like wolves. And they get in there, and we're so excited, and we howl, like it's like this animalistic thing. And that's the word that's there. And I know that that doesn't feel very church-like, right? But I want you to know what this man didn't do. He didn't say, excuse me, Jesus of Nazareth, excuse me, Messiah, can I please have a moment? Excuse me. He cried out for God. And I think about our own lives. 
And just before this scripture, if you read back a little bit in Luke chapter 18, there's a story of uh, the rich young ruler, which is a common story that we all know. And here's, here's the, the rich young ruler is about this man that has, uh, he's done all these things, right? He, he, he's, he's remained righteous. He comes for Jesus says, what do I need to do to get an attorney? He says, I've done this. I've done this thing. I've done these things. I've done all these righteous things. And he says, what can I do? And Jesus says, now, now give away all your possessions and follow me. And the man walks away with his head held low. And Jesus said this, he said, Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so I wonder as we consider our own lives of those two people, both of them in Luke chapter 18, the rich young ruler that had it all together, that was righteous, that did the right things, that had all the boxes checkmarked, and then the blind beggar that's howling like an animal, crying out for God at the side of the road. One of those people walked away with his head held low because he couldn't follow God. And you read forward and one of them gets up, receives sight, and begins to follow Jesus. So in your own life, which one do you resemble more? Do you resemble the rich young ruler that's got all the boxes checked, that always does the right thing, that doesn't make mistakes? Or do you re- resemble the person that is desperate, that's not asking for money, they're not asking for power? He says, God, have mercy on me. Son of David, Messiah, God, have mercy on my soul, crying out like this wild animal. And that doesn't feel like our churches. That doesn't feel appropriate. That doesn't feel like the Christian narrative. That doesn't feel like what Christian culture communicates. That that if if, if one of those two people fit within modern Christian culture, Bartimaeus, blind beggar, and rich young ruler who we don't even know his name, which one of those fits into, the, into our context of what it looks like to be a nice, good, buttoned-up Christian? So if you're at home and you're crying out for God right now like an animal and your kids are coming out, like what is going on, that is a good thing. You can explain to your kids about what it looks like to cry out for God. So the third thing is this. First and foremost is to pay attention. Secondly, to cry out to God. And the third thing that we can learn from Bartimaeus this blind man, is to answer the question. Is to answer the question. Verse 41 says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. He replied. He's not asking for perception because we already know he can perceive who Jesus is without sight, without laying eyes on him. He can perceive that it's the Messiah. It's the son of David. It's the Christ. It's the Savior that he's been waiting every single day on the side of a robe for. And the Lord asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And without hesitation, without a moment's hesitation, he says, Lord, I want to see. He replied. And I wonder for us, if Jesus is asking you that question right now, right now, if God is looking at you and he's saying, What do you want me to do for you? What would you say? How would you answer that question? And I would imagine that most of us will be less speechless. 
it'd be like that scene of a movie where you thought, well, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Like, I haven't considered that. And why? Why don't we know what to say? And I would argue this because we don't know the desires of our own heart. Scripture says in Psalm 37, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And God, if he is standing before you, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And we don't even know the desires of our own heart. We know what the world says. The world says money. The world says power. The world says fame. The world says comfort. The world says success. The world says reputation. We know what the world, clearly, we have no problem knowing what the world says we could ask for. If a genie pops up and says, you get three wishes, we all know the first wish to wish for is what? You can answer at home. Is to wish for more wishes, right? We all know that one. All right, we all know that answer. But when God, the Messiah, the Christ, is standing before us saying, what do you want me to do for you? We have no answer. Because more than this world has to offer. It's more than infinite amount of wishes. It's more than infinite amount of money. It's the desires of our hearts. And you see Psalm 37 verse 4 comes with a condition. It comes with a condition. The Lord's love is unconditional and freely given without condition. But this truth, this biblical truth in Psalm 37 verse 4, it comes with a condition. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I would argue that the reason that we don't know what to say in that moment is that we don't take delight in the Lord. Sure, we can think of a prayer request, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not suggesting that you praying for provision for your life is wrong. God answers those questions. I'm not saying that you praying for a loved one that's hurting or sick or in addiction is wrong because you should. I'm not saying that we shouldn't all be praying for the world around us right now that's being affected by this, this virus is not things that we should pray for. But, man, if you're standing before the Lord and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? And we can't answer it, that's hard. Now, we know the world. We've we scrolled through fear book. I mean Facebook, right? We know what that says. We know all these things. But I'm telling you, you look at people that have success, money, and fame, and they're divorced three or four or five times over. They're, they're in and out of rehab depression, suicide, which is heartbreaking. You think about people that have it all, and that is, that is heartbreaking that they've arrived to that point of having everything, and there's still no value because what the world offers is a lie. I mean, you can be a however many times Super Bowl champion winner, and then you go and you, you get a job being a quarterback for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? That shows you that people are still always wanting more. So as we close this morning, I want to encourage you of a couple of things. Like I said in the beginning, I think looking at this man is important and seeing how Bartimaeus, this, this blind man, what he did, there's something for us to learn from him. But I think it's also important to see how Jesus responded to him. And so as we close, I just want to show you and, and highlight these things. Is the first thing that Bartimaeus did is he paid attention. And when he paid attention, what happens he heard good news. He said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Because he asked, because he said, what is that ruckus? Something is different. I perceive something. 
And because he asked, because he paid attention, he heard good news. The second thing that happened for him, result of his faithfulness, is he cried out. He cried out, and look look what happens. Jesus stops, and he calls him to him. That because of his crying out, that Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, stopped and went to the man. Imagine if he would have remained quiet. Imagine if he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples, and, and you know, they think there's more important things going on. The disciples are like, no, 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 be quiet. And imagine if he had said, okay. And he had sat back down and backed up. I mean, he, he would have missed it. He would have missed it. But, but because he cried out, Jesus stopped. And he called him to him. The last thing is that he answers the question. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, I want to see. And the result is he received sight and he followed Christ. And I want you to know this morning, wherever you're watching this, I don't know. If somebody's watching it. But I want you to know that that is what Jesus does. He gives spiritual sight. He gives us vision to see, to see him. And imagine this man. He's been blind from birth. He's never seen a sunset. He's never seen a rose. He's never seen the smile of a child's face. And he receives sight. And for the first thing he sees is God. It's the first thing he sees is the Lord. And that's what happens. So as we wrap up, our worship team is going to come back up and they're going to lead us out this morning. But I want to encourage you, if you are here, if you are watching and, and God is stirring something in you to respond, to take a step, to reach out to us. You can, this is streaming on Facebook. This is streaming on YouTube. Uh, go to vessel.church and reach out to someone. And we would love to, to pray with you, to encourage you, to walk you through what that looks like. If you are out there right now and you don't know the Lord, man, I want to encourage you to pay attention because God is moving and God is near and God is passing by and Jesus is in your life and he is pursuing you, that he is in your life. I want to encourage you to cry out to him, to not worry about being polite, but, but from an emotional heart level to cry out to God. Finally, I want you to be ready when the Lord says, what do you want me to do? To be ready to say, Lord, I want to see. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much again, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in your name in the safety of our own homes. We pray. We join thousands, millions of people around the world that are praying for the safety and the health of the human race, God, for humanity. God, I thank you that you are the one that knit us together in our mother's womb. God, that we are beautifully and wonderfully created, whether we know you or don't know know you. That you created us beautifully and wonderfully in your image. I thank you, Jesus, that you know the hairs on our head. God, I thank you that you gave your life on the cross, that you chose to walk into the last days of your life thinking about us, God, with with us on your heart, and us on your mind. We thank you for this morning and for being together. We pray these things in your name.
Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.